If we imagine that the church is the body, and the life force, the Holy Spirit, is the soul of the church, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith, right? So it is from Christ, the Eucharist, the head, from which all uh, life flows. We can imagine the Eucharist is the blood coursing through our veins. I'd imagine that the, um, the family, if we want to keep this analogy, the family are those very veins of the body of the church. Without the family, the church struggles. Without the family, the society struggles. And so it was that when God became man, he didn't choose to come in power and in majesty and in glory saying, look at me. He came in a family. Not even an ordinary family. Because his dad wasn't his dad. His dad was his foster father, Joseph. And we don't know anything about Joseph's parents. We do know about Joachim and Anne. That he entered into this family, that even this family was struggled. Joseph didn't, he didn't know what to do with the fact that his virgin bride had gotten pregnant. <laughs> He's told by the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and we don't know if he believed or he didn't believe, but we do know that he struggled with that because he was ready to divorce her. Like he did, it could have been because he was afraid to take on the responsibility. I mean, I don't know, dads, would you be prepared to be the father of the Son of God? And then you'd be married to the only human person other than the Son of God who is without sin? Like, think about it. If, any, if there was a problem in the Holy Family, they could only blame one person. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just it's like, so everybody's like, Joseph, not again. <laughs> like, you know. Like, but there he was. Like, he was ready to enter into that. And he did, and he cared for his family. He protected his family, brought them down to Egypt after he was told in a dream to leave. Guys, guys, could you all imagine that? God asking you to move your family. You don't have a job. All of the stuff for your tools, he probably didn't bring his whole arsenal of tools that he had in Nazareth. He was just going for a small vacation to Bethlehem. It's not like you bring your whole life with you. So that means they left their house, he left his business, he left all of his clients, and moved to, to, to Egypt, to a place in a language that he doesn't speak. He has to try to get a job again, and acquire all those tools again, to do his work. Like, that had to be rough. 
And then, five years in, give or take, five years in, God says, okay, now you can go back to Nazareth. Five years in is right when he starts to get regular clients. <laughs> and now he has to go back to the business in a market that has already filled his space, probably, that he now has to reassert himself in a new market, in a new space, again. Even if their home is still there, if somebody hadn't plundered their house and taken all his tools, he probably could have brought them with him at that point. But still, uproot again and restart back in Nazareth. And they didn't live in a lap of luxury. They would have lived in a small home. It might not have even been more than one room. Maybe two. The kitchen would have been outside. They probably shared the bed together. If there was a bed, maybe some straw or some hay. And yet in the midst of that poverty, in the midst of that simplicity, in the midst of all of that difficulty, the Holy Family blossomed into the beginning, the very first church. Have you ever thought about that? That the Holy Family is the first church? That the house in Bethlehem, and the house in Nazareth is the very first church in which God was worshipped? Present, fully, body, blood, soul, and divinity? That within their house was a tabernacle? Like parents, you love your kids. And you can look at your kids and be like, they're the greatest person that ever lived. No, I'm, I know most parents don't say that about their kids. Because <laughs> more than anybody, the parents also know the faults of the kids. <laughs> um, but they, they did adore him. While at the same time being his parent. Teaching him how to pray. Teaching him how to socialize and be in the midst of the community. Teach him how to love. In his human nature, he, in his human will, in his human knowledge, he had to learn all of that. Even though from his divinity, he knew everything. You're like, Father, that, that doesn't, I don't Yeah, me too. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But it is the, still the truth. So, why am I saying all this? Going back to the original analogy, is because if Christ established the first church as his family, every family, whether that is one person, whether you are a widow, whether you are a single person, or whether you have a family of 17, which, God bless you, <laughs> That's crazy awesome. Each of those places is what the Second Vatican Council calls a domestic church. That the very first place that anyone is going to encounter Christ is in and the midst of the life of the family. 
and the way that we live family life, when we think of that vocation as such, we can allow then Christ to shine forth in the midst of the family. Do you understand then why the family is constantly attacked now? Why, in man's pride, we want to assert things which God did not establish so that we could be comfortable. But let's be honest. We all live in families. Have you ever been always comfortable in your family? No. And if you are, Send me your parents. We need to have a talk. Because they lied to you. <laughs> they kept a lot from you that they probably maybe shouldn't have. Like Family is this place where we learn how to love. Why? Because family is the place where in any other place else in life that we will experience the brokenness of an individual. Husbands, you know your wife's quirks. Sometimes you definitely know because you like to poke them. <laughs> oh, man, you're calling out your dad. Like, come on. Come on. Wives, you know the brokenness of your husbands. And you take advantage of that to win arguments. Right? But what if the family, instead of, instead of just like using those things to our own advantage, rather those be the opportunities to love in the midst of their brokenness, to love them even though they're broken, even though they did this thing, which on the grand scheme of things is probably small, or maybe it's really big. But in the place of the family is to do that. Parents, to love your children in their brokenness. All of your children are learning how to be human beings. And when you learn how to do something, you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. It is the nature of learning things. And so although you want your, your children to exceed, succeed and be the best that they possibly can be, for sure, also... Don't expect them to be perfect. Because they will never be. As much as you would like them to be. It is not in their nature to be perfect. And it's an opportunity for you to love them in their brokenness. Children! You also like to have taken advantage of the brokenness of your parents. Usually when you want something, you'll go ask one parent. They'll say no. You're like, I know the other one's going to say yes. Let me go ask the other one. I'm going to divide and conquer. Like, no. No, 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 no. Like, you're also, God is calling you to love them in their brokenness. Because what's going to happen, sometimes they're going to come home, they've had a long day, they're frustrated, and you're learning how to be human, and you fail, and they're going to go... 
And they're going to yell at you, or they're going to scream at you, or they're going to do something. Don't call them out. Come on, dude. <laughs> you know, uh, They're going to do something that's going to hurt. And that's your opportunity to love them in their brokenness. To not take that personally because they're not, it's not personal. It's not at all about you. It's about what happened at work because their coworker, good, no one's not even good to coworkers, right? Did this one thing or this person driving or whatever, or you know, the government, whatever it is, that they're frustrated. Or they're frustrated themselves because they, they failed at doing something they really want to succeed at. Love them. Like when we allow the family to be that place of mercy, just as Mary and Jesus were merciful with Joseph, and arguably Joseph is one of the greatest saints in the whole history of the church, he is the patron saint of the church as a whole. When we're able to be merciful, then the life of God is going to flow through us and make that domestic church a light. So that when people encounter the family, they don't just encounter brokenness, they also encounter God's grace in the midst of that brokenness. Now, I'll end with this. The only way that a blood vessel can operate is if there's blood throwing, flowing through it. And so the only way that a family is going to be able to live out its family life in the best way that it can is if it's connected to the Eucharist. You wonder why family life is so messed up. The empty pews. are this reminder that the only way that family life can succeed is with Christ in the midst of it, not outside of it as an afterthought, but Christ in the midst of it. And so as we celebrate the rest of this liturgy and we honor the Holy Family, we give thanks to the God for the gift of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the witness of their love Ask him to flow through your family. Again, whether that's a family of one or whether it's a family of 17. Let him flow through. Let him transform. Let him bring oxygen to bring life to your family.